0: So you get up at the crack of dawn before dawn. You're working hard all day long. You skip breakfast. You skip lunch. Comes time for dinner time, you come home, there's a nice banquet on the table. Nine-course meal. And you swing in, you grab three french fries and you run back out the door. There's work to be done, and you're behind on everything. And you come in at night so tired, and there's such an inviting bed with your name on it. And you roll in one side, and you just keep rolling. And you roll out the other side, and you're heading for the door. Because there's so many important things for you to do. And we end up feeling discouraged and depleted. And then we start having a distorted view of reality. Look with me at 1 Kings 19, verse 4. Then Elijah went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. And he sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who already died. Here's a man that God used so powerfully. What a man. Few compared to Elijah in the Bible. And he had just confronted the apostate king of Israel face to face. Elijah alone was representing Yahweh, Jehovah, God. And there were thousands of prophets of Baal and Asherah. And the thousands upon thousands and thousands of people gathered and he spoke for Jesus he spoke for God and God worked mightily through Elijah and God revealed himself to the power to the people in such powerful ways and, and throughout the day and the evening Elijah was working hard for God and God was working hard through Elijah and uh Elijah was worn out, and uh, a little threat came for, for, for his life from the queen, Jezebel, and he went running, and he wanted to die, and everything is hard, and everything feels like duty now, and obligation, and there's a lot of fears creeping in, and there's no desire to even ask for desire anymore, have you ever been there? You don't even have desire to ask for desire, you just want to be done. No strength to even ask for strength anymore. First Kings 19, 5 through 8, he says, just let me die. Then he lay down and he slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on a hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and he lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. He needed to be fed and he needed to sleep physically and spiritually Paul's awareness Paul knew something that he wrote about in Philippians 2:13 He said for God is working in you giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. What two things is God giving us? Desire and the power to do things of significance for the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 15:9 through 10. Paul is speaking, he says, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Talk about condemnation and guilt and shame haunting him from his past. He killed Christians. He killed Christians and ripped apart families and threw people in prison. There is some weight. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Paul is saying something. He said, I worked harder than all of them, all the other apostles. And was it just because Paul was, he worked out so much in the gym, and he just had so much more mental strength than the other disciples? and he just was better at white-knuckling it and digging down deep? No, it says not I, yet not I. It wasn't my efforts. It wasn't I, but the grace of God that was with me. The grace of God. God has given each person a measure of grace for specific tasks. Specific gifts, specific locations and placements, and measure of grace. Isaiah verse 30, or 30, verse 15. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. Isaiah was addressing the nation of Israel who had forsaken God, run after idols and the gods of other nations, and humanism and individualism and socialism and materialism. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You would have none of it. Are we trying to pump the well? Or are we allowing the well to pump us? Are we trying to push a car uphill? we get in the car and allow the car to us. Trusting the grace, not us trying to come up with good ideas, trying so hard to think and figure out answers, or even trying so hard to have enough strength, not us sacrificing enough through obligation, not us being dedicated enough Here, Elijah, eat some food. Take a nap. We need the Spirit of Christ. We need to learn how to trust. And we don't know how to trust. And we try to trust, but we're not good at it. And we don't know how to wait in God's presence. We roll on the bed and we roll out of the bed and we run. We don't know how to wait. We don't know how to sit in quietness and trust. Mm, God is a good father. We just... Where is my shepherd I shall not want? He leads me beside still waters, fields of green, makes me lay down. prepares a table before me in the presence of mine enemies' big table. God supplies us with desire and strength beyond measure. if we'll eat and if we'll sleep. But I'm trying to live for God. Trying to live for God and do things for God and be the right dad and wife and mom and and that worker and trying to be good for God and do the things that God wants me to do and but do it with the desire and the strength of God. His burden is light. Not saying there's not hard things. God has asked people God asks us to do incredibly difficult things, but He never asks us to do it by our own grit and our determination. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Thank you, God. Taking the weight off, inviting us to the table, inviting us to sleep. You don't have to manufacture strength. What are you full of? What are you full of? Self reliance, self determination? The graces and mercies of God, the joy of God. Not fake joy. Not, I'm a Christian, so I have to have joy, and I tell people that the joy of the Lord is my strength. But because you've really sat at the table and you've really slept in the bed, you really have, and you really do have joy. You really do have peace that surpasses human understanding because you've sat at the table. You've slept in the bed. I've been with my God, I've been with my Father. how did David face Goliath? Oh, he was just, uh, he'd worked out for so long and he was so self-competent and self-reliant in his skill sets. No, he said, you come against me with sword and spear, but I come against you in the name of my, in the name of my God. David had spent so much time in the fields with the sheep and with his God at the table at the banquet and in the bed and he had a desire to stand up and he had a strength and ability to do it and the Holy Spirit was upon him how did Daniel face the lions then he had more degrees than most people more letters behind his name that's what allowed him he put in the time right Put in the time on his knees at the table. Daniel prayed three times a day, go home, open up his, his windows. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with God's word. God's anointing was upon Daniel. His faith was strong in God. It wasn't a fake faith. It was a real confidence and a real trust that comes from quietness and waiting in God's presence. Not him out trying to do Christianity. I'm going to run out and be a good Christian. That will wear us out so fast. Daniel faced the lions then. How did Paul face certain beatings and imprisonments and death? Well, we just We've kind of read a few of those verses. Are you pushing the car today? Am I pushing the car? Oh, God. I've been trying to work for you, Lord, and I've been neglecting my sleep and my eating of just being and trusting. How do I just trust you? I sit and I trust. I trust you, Lord. I trust you. I cast my cares on you for you care for me. But that sounds cliche, Right? We've heard that one so many times, some of us. We don't even know how to do that. How do I do that? We need more time at the table, not less time at the table. We need more time at the table. Not less time. Not just a couple Twinkies. It looks like food. It tastes great, but it's... Self-help videos... Good books tastes kind of good and a little inspiration and motivation and some of it's great but the substance the sustenance of God we were created by God for God yes we were Martin Luther said guard yourself carefully against those false deluding ideas which tell you wait a little I will pray in an hour. First, I must attend to this or that. Such thoughts get you away from prayer into other affairs which so hold your attention and involve you that nothing comes of prayer for that day. Guilty. So guilty so often because I have to respond to the emails first. Someone needs my attention. Things come up, I get it. I'm going to have my my Jesus time and it's at that time that one of my kids is bleeding all over the place from falling on his knee. Okay? so Okay, I got to take care of that. And God sees us and he knows and he's our father. And we can have a good habit for a while. Oh, I found a time that works for me. It's this time, it's from 8 to 9, or it's from 6 to 7, or it's, and this is where I go. I go to this room in my house, or I go to this place in the office, or I sit in my car during this time, and this is when I meet with God, and it's good, and then all of a sudden our schedule gets tweaked a little, and we don't have another time, and so we fall out of the rut. Where Bible reading becomes a duty, right? It's an obligation because we're so tired and we're running so hard, fast and furious. That reading this thing feels like duty instead of food and love. And filling, it feels like duty. All right, read that column. Read this. I don't remember what I read. Shut the Bible. I don't know what I read. There was a a year or two in my life about seven, eight years ago. I would read and can't tell you what I read. I can't tell you what I read two minutes afterwards. I kept jumping in, though. I had wise enough people tell me, keep reading. When you're going through those times, keep reading. Keep reading anyway. You brush your teeth even when you don't feel like it. need more time, more trust in the Lord. Martin Luther said, I have so much to do That I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Here's a cherry tree. Anybody been up to Door County this year? Or in your life? There's cherry trees up there. I remember them. There's a cherry tree, and on the branches, there's some wet stuff. The tree wet its pants. So that's sap, as you know, nourishing the cherry tree, and uh, and then here's those beautiful cherries. Look at that, bearing much fruit. Oh yeah. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. So the sap's going through the branches and it's nourishing the leaves. Have you ever heard of a little branch that couldn't? The little branch that was on the tree and some sap came in it a little bit and he's like, oh that's good, and he and he disconnected from the tree and he ran out in the field and he went uh, trying to bear some fruit. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I can do this. John fifteen five says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, You'll bear much fruit and apart from me you can do nothing. We need to eat. We need to sleep. We need to experience the goodness of God. The goodness of God. Such a song that will bless your soul is by Zach Williams and it's called So Good to Me. Write that one down and YouTube it. So Good to Me, Zach Williams. Oh man that'll take you there. That'll take you there. God has a full plan. He's got a full plan. He's never worn out and weary and discouraged and despairing and straining and striving. But we as little kids, boy, we get get out there and we wear ourselves out. We don't eat, we don't sleep. And we eat some junk food. And... It's fun when we have desire, it's fun when we have strength. <coughs> We were talking to our men's group on Monday nights uh, a couple weeks ago, men's fraternity, which is fantastic. And we were going around sharing a little bit. And within the circle, we talked about um, for guys, the uh, topic came up of not having, not feeling like I, I in, in my past, I've had things I was working towards or doing. And, and um, someone mentioned not having like a battle to fight or not feeling like there's something before them right now. There's not like, It's kind of a lack of desire or strength because, I don't know, there's not like a battle to be fought or something to be won or something to be conquered or or something. And and, and I remember, you know, when you don't have anything, there's no vision or desire or strength, it's hard to, you're just tired. You're just tired all the time. But if you have some desire and some strength, boy, you can wake up and jump out of bed because you are, you are, Excited about the day and what's before you. Yes! It is exciting. God can give us his desires, his desires, and he can give us his strength. Just for fun. I should say, S for fun. S for fun this morning, I want to just look, have a broad overview of a period of history, and this is throughout the Bible, but I'm just taking a window. For us, I think it'll be helpful for us to see how God stirred the heart of different people at different times in different ways for specific things that God needed done, specific, um, specific works. What it looks like when God stirs the hearts of different people for different and distinct purposes. Desire and strength and what it looks like. So um, as we do this, say hodgepodge. I'm just jumping from one chapter to a verse to another chapter to a verse during this time frame and just and just holding up a few of the people mentioned within this time period. And there's many more people mentioned and many more great things that happen. So this is going to be discombobulated. But stay with me because I'm just we're just showing... What did God stir? How did God stir the heart of a person? In what way and for what reason? And um, and I think we will all be, when we see kind of the big picture of what's going on back here, 600 B.C. to 445 B.C., it'll spark our, our desire and strength a little bit. God is just gonna start feeding us even as we look at this a little bit for our lives here. Ready? No, okay, okay. I'm, I'm sorry, my mistake. Uh, Isaiah was a prophet and a writer. Prophet and a writer. So, so this is actually 700 BC. I threw this one in after the fact, but it's relevant. So Isaiah was a prophet of God, and he spoke to the people of Israel and trying to turn their hearts back to God and, and uh, warning them of, the, of their ways. So your, your ways and your behaviors and your actions, they're leading nowhere good. You're, gonna, you're destroying yourself. Come back to God be nourished they wouldn't have it they wouldn't hear of it um god used him to speak to the people god also used him uniquely and he does use people uniquely gives them wisdom isaiah supernaturally to speak of things that would come prophecy we actually in that one song spoke of that um, prophesy as though as if they were done prophesize and he did that look at this this is what the Lord says to Cyrus, his anointed one, whose right hand he will empower. Skip a couple verses. Why did I call you by name when you did not know me? It is for the sake of, my, of Jacob, my servant, Israel, my chosen one. So all the world from east to west will know there is no other God. That was written approximately 150 years before Cyrus, king of Persia, came on the scene. Uh, after Isaiah... About a half century later, Jeremiah comes on the scene. Jeremiah is a prophet. He's a writer. And the Lord's word burns in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire in my bones. I'm worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. God put some desire in him to speak something. to say things, and he couldn't even hold it in. He didn't want to be a spokesperson for God. He didn't want to go out into these people that were going to reject him and persecute him. But there was a desire in there. There was actually like a fire, like, I have to do this. And I don't even know if it was that pleasant for, for, for Jeremiah, but it was very purposeful. And it was very important, and he did it. For the past 23 years, from the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Amnon, king of Judah, until now, the Lord has been giving me his messages. I have faithfully passed them on to you, but you would not listen. That would be discouraging. You're a prophet at a time when no one listens to you. You're a pastor pastoring nobody. And God is giving you messages, and they're falling on deaf ears. And He would question Am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? I don't see fruit. You know, I'm trying to serve God, and then nothing seems to work out at all. I thought he called me to say this, and I said it, and nothing, nobody changed. There's no differences. He wrote this. The whole country will become as a desolate wasteland. He's telling Israel, Judah, the nation of Judah. These nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. How many years? 70, but when the 70 years are fulfilled... I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation, the land of the Babylonians, for their guilt, declares the Lord, and will make it desolate forever. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise and bring you back to this place. People of Judah are going to go into captivity, but after 70 years, God is going to bring them back to this place. That was written approximately 80 years before Cyrus, king of Persia. Well, let's talk about Cyrus, king of Persia. Here's the next one coming on the scene. Ezra 1, 1 through 4. In the first year of king Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled his prophecy that he'd given through Jeremiah. He stirred the heart of Cyrus to put this proclamation in writing and to send it throughout his kingdom. This is what king Cyrus of Persia says. And he, he tells the people, the Jewish people, they can go back and they can rebuild the temple. And they can be supplied with expenses, gold, supplies for the journey. Here's Cyrus's, uh, the Cyrus Cylinder, which is in the British Museum from 539 B.C. And much of those verses and much of that language is found even on that cylinder, which is pretty cool. God stirred Isaiah to write about Cyrus he stirred Jeremiah to write about 70 years, and then them going back, he stirred Cyrus to make a decree, Cyrus, a king, to make a decree. He makes the decree. Does anybody respond? Ezra 1.5, then God stirred the hearts of the priests and the Levites and the leaders of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin to go to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple of the Lord there's pioneers they're leaving homes they're leaving farmland they're leaving families because God's put some desire in their heart and given them some strength to accomplish it Ezra 111 Shesh bazar I would like you guys to say that word Shesh bazar <laughs> Brought all these along when the exiles went from Babylon to Jerusalem. So a total of 42,360 people returned to Judah. In addition, 7,337 servants, 200 singers, both men and women. That many people were stirred to go. That's a big deal. Two of the people that were stirred to go were Jeshua and Zerubbabel, and they were priests. And they led the people, when they got back to um, Jerusalem, they began rebuilding the altar of God. And even though the people were so afraid to do this because they were getting some some threats from the neighboring villages, cities, um, they built it anyway. They began sacrificing burnt offerings. They began constructing the temple. God stirred their hearts to do that. Zerubbabel and Jeshua they took on the mantle. They, they grabbed the baton. They said, we're going to do that. We're going to build the altar. That's, that's what we're going to commit to. And we're going to start building the temple. So they get on with it. And then what happens? The surrounding people groups, they write a letter to then King Xerxes, who's replaced Cyrus, telling them that these people are troublemakers. They're going to revolt as soon as they get their stuff situated here. You need to stop their building of the temple. They have a history and King Xerxes puts an end to it, a stop. And by force, people come and they tell them that they have to stop building. Stop building, that's discouraging. Zerubbabel and Jeshua, they thought they were doing God's work, but now it's done, right? It's over with and stopped. And they're sitting there months and years. And uh, I thought God gave me desire and strength for this. And now it's cut off and then in comes Zechariah and Haggai, prophets. At that time, the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. You guys still with me? Is this boring history now because you're starting to get lost in numbers and people's names that are weird? Just, just stick with it, just for a little. Mm, we're halfway through it, all right. Haggai and Zechariah, prophets. At that time, the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem. They prophesied in the name of God of Israel, who is over them. Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, responded by starting again to rebuild the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them and helped them. The prophets of God were with them and helped them. They were encouraging them. They spoke something by the power of God, the desire of God, the power of the strength of God. They spoke something to the people that made them begin again. Zerubbabel and Jeshua start again. Here's an example of what they said. You can find it in the book of Zechariah. Zechariah, here's Zechariah speaking in the, in the book that's, that's written by him. Then another message came to me from the Lord. Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of this temple, and he will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. A timely word of encouragement that God gave a person to encourage another person. And the building process began again. Even though there was no edict that came from the king saying they could rebuild, they just start building again. It was God's plan. About that time, there was um, a guy named Ezra serving in Babylon. And this Ezra, let's read it, was a scribe who was well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given to the people of Israel. He came up to Jerusalem from Babylon, and the king gave him everything he asked for because the gracious hand of the Lord his God was on him. Say, I am anointed by God. Say, the gracious hand of God is upon me. The gracious hand of God is upon me. Yeah. The gracious hand of the Lord was on him. Ezra had determined to study and obey the law of the Lord and to teach those decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. And the king speaking to Ezra said this, And you, Ezra, are to use the wisdom your God has given you to appoint magistrates and judges who know your God's laws to govern all the people in the province west of the Euphrates River, Teach the law to anyone who does not know it. Anyone who refuses to obey the law of your God and the law of the king will be punished. Ezra was given authority and ability to go, and he was well versed and studied in the ways of God. He'd spent so much time eating and sleeping, and he was full of passion, full of desire to teach people. He was full of it. (laughs) He was full of it. See, you're full of it. He brought spiritual renewal. Next on the scene is Nehemiah. Nehemiah. He was a cupbearer for the king. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. And then I said, you'll have to read that on your own. That's in Nehemiah 1. It's a long prayer, interceding for the people and confessing sins and asking for God's wisdom and strength and power. Nehemiah ends up uh, going, has the king's blessing, goes to Jerusalem, and he says this, Nehemiah 2.17, but now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruin. Its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. And the next four chapters describe how each family committed to building their part of the wall. So where all the people were settled, they began working in front of them and building their wall up all the way around. This is the last one. Families, laborers. So on October 2nd, the wall was finished in just 52 days. The walls of Jerusalem in 52 days. When our enemies and surrounding nations heard of it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. God gives desire to people and God gives strength to people to do things of significance so that he might be glorified. People might see and recognize him. They'd turn their eyes to him and they would be filled with him. And they would experience his joy and love and peace and strength and desire. God works in different people for his glory and it's a beautiful thing. God does supernatural things. He can speak to our emotions. It's good to have emotion. It's good to have emotion. If you do not have any emotion with your wife and it's just an intellectual relationship, there's no heart feeling of any sort that should be nurtured and that's important too God is very practical with us too how about this you're spending time at the table or you're spending time in the bed and an idea comes in your head of how to encourage your wife or you're made aware of something you can tell your kid Or you're made aware of a phone call that you should make. Or you're reminded to pick up milk on the way home. A better way to complete a task at work. A better way to respond the next time you're offended. Maybe a reminder from scripture of principles to live by. Thank you, God. A better idea or a way to budget money. Maybe God gives you compassion for a specific person or cause. Maybe he puts it on your heart to volunteer in some capacity somewhere. We don't want to minimize the voice of Jesus, or don't think, or not think that it's practical. And he speaks to us through our thoughts. You know, he gives us thoughts to think about. I never heard God's voice. Oh, God gives you thoughts to think about. Recognize it as His voice. Recognize His voice. His voice aligns with his word as capital times here. 2016, five moms started preparing some lunches in Middleton and inviting in the park next door to Middleton High School inviting kids to come over for pizza, I think once a week. Last year, 600 kids are coming across to hear about Jesus every day, a Bible lesson, and eat pizza. 600 kids. Last year, in Middleton, Wisconsin... And so now this year it's happening, now they've moved these lunches to be in Verona and at Memorial High School too. And they've taken a lot of flack. A lot of people trying to shut it down and what's this religious thing going on here and really giving them flack. But God gave them a desire and He gave them strength. Something of significance. Wow. So cool. What's God speaking to you today? Lord God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you, Lord, that you're in it for the long haul. You're a long haul God. Thank you for your patience, Lord, and your kindness. It leads us to repentance, Lord. Your kindness leads us, Lord, home. It leads us home. You don't treat us as our sins deserve, Lord. You don't treat us like that, God. Instead, you extend mercy over and over again. When we think, ah, oh, we're past the mercy level, we're past the grace level, I, don't, I can't go back to the table, you say, come and sit down, come and sleep. What a great God, what a good God you are, so good to me. Yes. It's been a good morning, Lord. Lord. We thank you for reminding us of your spirit and that we need it. We need your Holy Spirit, Lord. We wait on you now, Lord, but in the days and weeks to come, Lord, we know we need to be with you. We thank you ahead of time, Lord, and even now, Lord, as you begin to birth desire in us again, or new desires, or more desire, or more strength, God. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name, the giver of desire, giver of strength. Blessed be your name, God. Hallelujah, my soul, praise your name, Lord. I will praise you, God. I will lift up my voice and praise you, Lord God. I will acknowledge you, God. I'll pour out my heart before you, Lord God. Bless you, Lord. You are my rock and my salvation.